Welcome back to the It's Telehealth podcast. Once again, this is your host, Keenan Hart, President and Chief Innovation Officer of Integrated Telehealth Solutions. Joined with me once again is my great co-host, Andre Simmons. Andre, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty solid. Doing pretty solid. So our guests might notice that we do not have a guest on the show today. Um, I think it's important that the people start to get used to communicating and listening to me and you, because we will be the foundation of this amazing podcast in the future. And I think it's just important for people to get to know us a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Andre, um, you know, people in our recent episodes have learned that we are family. Um, Mm -hmm. We've talked about, you know, the experience with our grandma, um, her specifically, you know, going through her hardships at the end of life with hospice and how that impacted our family. That was a very much mentally draining process. And so, you know, today, I think it would be a great opportunity for us to talk about, you know, just mental health in general. You know, we went through a lot of ups and downs during that time. Um, But, you know, mental health is something that is so important in the community and in our culture right now. And, you know, especially with all the technology that's around us all the time, it seems to be more and more of an issue, or I'm not sure if it's more and more of an issue, or there's just more awareness around the subject now. Yeah, I think definitely more awareness. Um, you and I, you know, touched on it briefly. I, just, I think that as uh, the internet grew, the world got smaller, um, mm-hmm. and people and people were able to voice um, any type of issues that they were having, and and that's great because somebody halfway across the world can say, "Oh, I'm having that problem too," and um and that and that enables people to not feel alone. And I think I think a huge part of um, mental health issues stems from people feeling like they're going through. Whatever they, whatever issue they're going through, they feel like they're going through it by themselves. Um, I read a recent article about sixty-five percent of people develop mental health issues by age fourteen, and so, and that's, I mean, so those those are the formative years, right? So, like, you're age fourteen, you're going through those these issues, and you you think that Huge. you're alone in this world. You think you're the only person going through it. Add that on top of all the other stuff that you're going through during puberty and and all that stuff. I mean, it, it could be, you know heavy. Well, I mean, those years are so formidable because you're really discovering who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I remember Keenan as a 14 year old, so confused about life in general, what kind of clothes he wanted to wear, (laughs) where he wanted to go to school, his friends that he hung out with. And in those moments, it's just so intense because you think that you've got it figured out, but the world has so much in store for you. Right. You know, And so, Andre, you know, you are a little bit older than me. Can you remind everybody when you were born, if you don't mind me asking that question? <laughs> I was born in the, somewhere in the 70s. No, I was born in 1970. So, I, I you know, the, the funny thing about coming up in that era is that you don't realize this, obviously, growing up. But you're, you're I mean, especially being Black in America, you're right on the heels of the Civil Rights Movement. Um, yeah. And there are a lot of, a lot of issues that, that, our um, uh, family were facing that today, I mean, are, are a little, you know, I would like to think better. Um, but in that time, you're, you're just fresh coming out of the civil rights movement and people are um, trying to figure out, um, at least, you know, in our community, trying to figure out who they are in America now in this, in this quote unquote, you know, under these new rules, so to speak, you know? So um, I think that, when the, as that relates to mental health, is that I don't think there was very much awareness of, of mental health issues, and or they, there may have been, but people swept it under the rug. Um, I think that um, our 
in an effort to, to, to show a strong face all the time. I think, I think in the black community, they definitely um, swept any issues they were having under the rug and, and kind of hid them from others. Yeah. I mean, like, let's think about, let's talk about that a little bit. So, I mean, being a black man in America is difficult, especially coming off of the civil rights movement. What was it like growing up as a young child in the seventies? What kind of pressures did you kind of face? And I know, you know, you also touched on a subject of trying to show or be strong Mm -hmm. in the adversity, you know, of that's something that I've always come across in just culture in general. Men, first of all, are not really allowed to talk about their feelings. We always put on a hard face and then we internalize some issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that has a huge effect on how we deal with things later, how we build relationships, how we are able to foster relationships. Give us a little bit of understanding what it was like now that you have an understanding of like the 70s when you came up, but like the kids who are growing up now. Sure. What's interesting is that I just watched a film and the name escapes me right now about it was it it was related to uh, uh, school integration and busing. And I remember I was uh, in kindergarten, what are you, five, six years old at that time. And um, I remember getting so you get a list. There's a list of kids that are going to the ones that are going to stay in the community and go to the local school, which my local school was probably three blocks away. Um, this was like a published list that got dropped. Like they mailed this to you, so they, you knew they, it was going to be in classes. Sure, they would mail it to you, so you'd know like what list you were on and where you were where you were assigned to go to school. And I gotcha. remember, I remember getting the list, and I mean, I was a kid, obviously, but I remember finding out I was going to be bused um, an hour away, you know, to uh, to a predominantly white school, and thinking to myself, like, no, that's I don't. I don't, I don't want that. I want to, you know, I want to, cause all my, all my yeah. friends are here, all my kids, all the kids from the neighborhood are here at this school. Um, yeah. And so when you walk into that situation, it's the, the, you haven't really experienced anything outside of your family and your, you know, a couple blocks radius at that point. Yeah. Um, going into that environment was, was strange because it's like, I don't know how to behave. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know these people. I don't know how to speak. I don't know, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And you already have the um, the stigma of like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm black in America and I'm different. And then now you're, you're faced with, um, okay, there's about four or five of us and then there's 18 of them in this classroom. So um, that yeah. it's challenging for sure. I mean, I imagine... Because one of the advantages that kids have today, and we talked about, you know, when social media and the internet and everything came out, it made everything into a small town. Connectivity is incredible now. So it's almost like some type of socio cultures are more sweeping and people understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. When you went to that school, was it something of like a culture shock? Because you weren't connected to these kids. They acted different. They did everything different. For sure. And to your point, I mean, if, if if the internet was alive then, I would have already had a, a preview of, of what other people were like. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I, I knew, again, I knew my family and I knew our block. And that's it. Yeah. And that was it. And so and you, you thrust kids into an environment where they have no idea. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. They also bust white kids into our neighborhood. So so they, yeah. had, they, had, they had that culture shock as well, you know? So I can't even... Yeah, first, first of all, I can't even imagine... Um, so the way I look at things in, in, in America is that we've, that we've always had to learn about the other side. Um, yeah. Which is fair because it's the, it's the prevailing culture, right? 
Um, but they, they, the flip side of that hasn't been so much, especially at that time. So I can't even imagine being a little six, seven year old white kid from the North end of Tacoma going to, you know, to, uh, a school on hilltop um it was probably a, I mean, a shock. what a what a what a culture shock <laughs> yeah. i mean completely different yeah. it's funny to laugh about it now but it's like when you were going through the experience and what grade was this if you don't mind me asking i think that was kindergarten yeah kindergarten mm-hmm. okay yeah you said that okay so that's like really young you know young, yeah. and was so one of the biggest things that we hear about today especially when it comes to mental health is the way that kids are having to interact with one another was there a lot of like bullying back in the day compared to how you hear about it now? For sure. A hundred percent. I mean, there was, so to your point, like, like I remember because, so I grew up as the baby of my, of my generation. So like, like mm-hmm. Daryl and, and, and Tina and Randy, they were all, they were all 10 years older than me. Um, the closest was, I think four years, right? Which wow. uh, which four years is is huge at that age. But you know, you're talking about the difference between a six year old and a ten year old. Um, and so having that separation and being by myself, I was I, like, I didn't have backup. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just had to deal, yeah. I had to deal with a lot of like older kids bullying me and all that kind of stuff without the backup. Then when I moved to another neighborhood, because my neighborhood made me tough in that way because I already had to deal with that stuff I became that so I became the bully you know it's, it, and it's a weird yeah it's a, oh interesting it's a weird um then I, I guess what do they say hurt people hurt people <laughs> yeah <laughs> people hurt people. That's very true. but that's exactly what that is and that and that's um that carries on um as we you know get deeper into the conversation that carries on into adolescence it carries on into adulthood is that you you become you become kind of a product of your environment in that way I mean, that's absolutely true. I mean, if you think about it, it's almost like a, it's a nasty feedback loop, right? I mean, like you're picked on, so you feel like you were disadvantaged. So now when you have the opportunity to pick on people, you do the same thing, you know, and how much more vicious that must be today, because even being born in 1990, Mm -hmm. right, when I was in kindergarten all the way through, I want to say like seventh or eighth grade. When you left school, you had the ability to kind of just like turn it off because there was no real connectivity. We had AIM, Mm -hmm. so AIM popped up and people were instant messaging after school. So that was great. But living in the world that we do today, you know, kids have connectivity to each other all the time. Yeah. And so those bullies follow you home on Snapchat. They follow you home on Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. And that just has to be super tough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine being in the. Um, what is supposed to be kind of your your sanctuary at home, and mm-hmm. still receiving, you know, now you you still you're still receiving those messages. But to your point, it's like back then when you left the schoolhouse. Well, first of all, you had to make it home because yeah, <laughs> they, were, yeah, yeah. they were along still your, dangerous. They were along your walk home, but once you got inside your house, you were good. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Man, that's just a that's just a different time. And I mean, you have a unique perspective as well because you also have children mm-hmm. and you've seen them grow up in the process of having technology readily available at their fingertips. Yeah. How has that experience been trying to raise children in that space as well? What were some of the challenges that you had to navigate with uh Dre and AJ? I think early on um <laughs> so early on, I mean Andres, you know, he was, he's probably MySpace era. That's mm-hmm. kind of where he was, you know, where he was um, 
a, a teenager, you know, in high school and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so early on, it was, I, I'm kind of different in a way because I want, I wanted my kids to, to learn all of the technology. I wanted them to have an understanding of what, you know, what it was, but at the same time, yeah. they were so, it, it makes your children so accessible that it's that that's the scary part. I mean, makes and and it also gives them access to so much information. And if you're not, um, if you're not able to to kind of sort out that information for them and make it make sense to them, it can be super super dangerous because it's so predatory. You know what I mean? Like like and and so um, that's that was the challenge for me is just to, to maintain a balance of like yeah, I would I would want you guys to be abreast of what technology is coming. But at the same time, I, I, you know, I have to explain it. So, I mean, the only, yeah. the, the, the advantage that I had was that um, because I was doing a lot of stuff with technology, I was aware of what was out there. And a lot of parents weren't and still aren't aware, you know, so they don't know what their kids are seeing on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, often we hear, and I'm going to kind of switch the subject a little bit, yeah. you know, something that was um, very prominent and was kind of a hot topic issue a couple of years ago and still is, um, is the advertising to children, right? Mm -hmm. Now that you see little kids, I feel like often parents, the first way to appease their child when they're not having a good mood or they're throwing a tantrum mm -hmm. is to throw an iPad in front of them. Sure. And often when you see these kids on an iPad, they're on YouTube. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. And so these people or these little kids are getting advertised to by organizations, by companies, by groups. Right. And they're putting information in front of these children. And very much like you just identified, it somewhat is predatory. Right. Because there's no real protection from the Internet anymore right. for right. a kid, even if you're on some type of like, you know, little kid based program, like you have to be 13 years or older. You still see seven year olds. Yeah walking around with a Facebook account, still yep. doing the same stuff that we're doing. Exactly. The internet is an incredible tool. Um, but what I was going to say in that is, how did you breach that conversation with your kids to try and explain to them what was going on in the internet? And then how did you kind of rally that into, you know, preparing them mentally to deal with some of the things that they're going to come across? I'm very real with my kids. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very like, straight to the point. So there's, I don't, I don't yeah. get into a long explanation. I just explain, this is real. This is my kids. First of all, they listen to a lot. They listen to a ton of rap music when they were growing up. You know what I mean? They still, yeah. they still do that. I mean, they branched off now, but like I had to explain what was real and what wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, and so I think that, I think if you just go, okay, this is what this is. You know, if, if, if an ad comes up, a YouTube ad comes up, for example, and you go, they're trying to get you to buy that. You don't need to buy that because that's dangerous for you. You know what I mean? Like, for, I give you, yeah. I give you an example. Like, and I believe in, don't, and I, I'm going to have to look this up, but I think it was Japan. Um, mm -hmm. And in the 90s, they uh, started selling, um, they started marketing, rather, coffee-flavored candy to kids in an effort to get them to be coffee drinkers later and later in life. So as a first of all, absolutely brilliant. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Oh my god. 100% oh my god. Brilliant. But like 100. But my my point is is that you have the same um type of efforts um yep. in in the in terms of like vaping for example. It's right. like you start you start early, you make it look like I mean they have vapes today that look like like little USB 
USB charger deals and yeah, um, and they're all, and they're all flavored and, and you know strawberry flavored or whatever, um, and that's appealing. And they're all in like really little pastel or or, or bright colors. Or yeah, whatever. appeasing colors. Yeah, and so that type of marketing is so dangerous because like a kid that doesn't understand um, what addiction is or what addiction looks like or what it can be, and they start so early. Um, it's impacting them for later, and 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 so that's that's the danger in, in you know like the marketing part of it. Absolutely, I mean there was a there's a saying out there. <clears throat> I think it was kind of funny. One of my buddies said this, and he was like, "Marketers ruin everything." <laughs> so I mean, even like when a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago on Facebook, I'm not sure if you saw, but everything started to become super personalized. Mm-hmm. You would see T-shirts that were like the best men are born in September and named Keenan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that was like, Oh my God, that is a really cool shirt, (laughs) you know, because everything is so targeted now that it's very interesting. And it almost comes down to, you know, the manipulation that happens on the internet Mm -hmm. happens right in front of our face, Mm -hmm. but we never call it that. And did you ever see um, the documentary on Netflix called the social dilemma? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the social dilemma talks about why those platforms like Instagram, everything else are so lethal is because they slowly change your behavior without you noticing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so slowly but surely, you're already smoking a vape pen because all your friends are doing it. Right. right? right. You're doing all these other things because all your friends are doing it. And it's very interesting to me that you have to almost be hyper aware of what is being fed to you mentally. Because before you know it, you're going to end up out of shape because you've been eating social media <laughs> Twinkies, you know what I mean? Without even your recogn- without right. recognizing right. it. Well, yeah. well, that's the thing is that if you take, let's take a 13, 14-year-old kid who's um, maybe a little socially awkward, um, doesn't have a lot of friends or relationships, and then... As they should be at 14 as well. Absolutely. Kids can't just skip that awkward you stage gotta, that we yeah, all went through. Go through that, of course. Um, no. But you take that and you, um, and they're on the internet and they see, oh, this is this looks cool. If I if I could grab one of those vape pens and and show these kids at school, I become cool also. Yeah. And it's just this it's this um, it's a um, lack of accountability, I think, in terms of yeah. in terms of marketing, just because you you have to have that understanding that that can happen. But I mean, I think they look at it as it. They look at it as collateral damage almost. It's, it is collateral damage. I mean, a big marketing technique is influence the influencer. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like often you see very creative and very effective marketing agencies who will advertise directly to little girls or little boys because they know they influence mom's decision right. on what ice cream or what cereal to buy. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a long tactic that we've seen out there. Um, but once again, you know, it kind of circles back into the area of, you know, because the internet allows us to be so connected today, it creates so many opportunities for abuse, either accidental or intentional, Mm -hmm. you know, and when I say abuse, I don't mean like physical abuse or mental abuse, because that does happen. But I mean, just like the subconscious tweaking of how we react to situations, how our behavior becomes changed is a huge issue. And one of the things that I've noticed personally, recently, as I've been looking around on things like Instagram, is nobody seems to have uncurated photos of themselves anymore do you know what i mean everything has a filter on it and so i continue to think about this generation of people that are coming up 
um, through social media, kids who are 12, 15, 16, 18, 19, 20 years old now, who have grown up viewing themselves through the lens of a Snapchat or an Instagram filter. And what type of mental issues that creates because your skin is never going to be as good as it looks when you have a digitized touched up version of yourself post in the world. And so I look at that as almost becoming, you know, something that can be very dangerous for us long-term. And I think we're going to see the effects of that happening, you know, because when I was a little kid, I had braces. My biggest decision was to pick out what color bands were on my braces. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? I tried to get the porcelain braces with the clear band so I could be clear and like nobody would know I had braces. Of course, you could tell I had braces. But that was one of the biggest decisions that I had to make during those times. Now you've got kids who are posting pictures of themselves. Don't even get me started about TikTok, how people are dancing. Everybody's showing a little bit more than they should be showing Mm -hmm. at a certain age. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, how do you think those things are going to affect people long term? If you're not even comfortable showing yourself to the world, then what does that mean for the humanity that we're trying to deal with? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think that you mentioned it earlier about going through that that stage, that awkward stage, and I and I think that gives you a, that gives you a sense of humility, right? Like, yeah, I, and and not in a bad way, where because now it's it's a it's a matter of you're looking at everyone else through filters, and now you're like, well, I don't look like that, or I don't look. Yeah. Like that. how do I get to look that good or I'll never look that good even more. So it's probably the case. Um, mm-hmm. But a sense of humility in the ter- in terms of like, Oh, I remember that I went, <laughs> I went to that. I remember when I was the ugly duckling, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, exactly. I remember, here's the thing is I remember going every day thinking like, God, I look like crap every day, like thinking, thinking it every day, every day. And then one day, one girl showed me attention and then they all followed and I was like, oh, things have changed. And but yeah. but you have to go through that process. You know what I mean? Like it can't just be like. No, I mean, you absolutely do. I mean, we all have to go, and that's why it's so important. And I look around today and I think about these kids and adults as well who are having all these mental health issues. And it's like, how can you? I'll give the fitness example. How can you expect to be in good shape if the diet that you're on is not good? You know, that's one thing that I continue to think about often. It's like your diet in fitness, if you've ever made transformations, like, you know, I used to be almost 300 pounds. Now I'm down to like 225. The entire process is all about your diet and what you're really eating, putting good fuel in. So you get good fuel out, good results out. The same thing is so important with your mental health. I mean, if we're consistently dieting on these negative foods, you know, it's very difficult to have a sense of self-esteem. It's very difficult to have a sense of yourself when it's always being altered or modified because at one point in time, does your brain start recognizing that's not me? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause that's a big thing that I worry about for a lot of people today. Yeah. Um, you know, because everything has a filter on it and yeah. it's just the life that we're living now, sure. you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the, I think the, the huge question is how do we, how do we get, um, especially at a young age, get people to understand um, that, even if you're going through a certain period or phase of life and you don't have a clear understanding of, of what that is, that you're able to reach out to people, to others and um, get help or, or at least to be able to, to, to articulate what you're feeling um, so somebody can give you some feedback, some helpful feedback that may help you. Um, I think there's too many people that suffer in the dark. Of, of, mental, yeah. of mental health for sure. 
I mean, I think there's a ton of people that suffer in the dark, but there's also a lot of people out there that are faking it until they make it. Oh, for you sure. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Absolutely. Dude, I know so many people who have been in tough times mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it seems like they crack yeah. because they're putting on this facade mm-hmm. of everything's good. I don't need to worry about it. Now I'm straight. Like you guys should be doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like, you know, everybody seems to be a life coach at the age of 18 or the age of 22 or a financial expert or anything like that. But it's like the mental health conversation. I'm so happy that it continues to be brought up, but I still feel like we're very much in its infancy. Sure. You know what I mean? Have you ever taken part in doing any type of self-development or have you pushed, not pushed, have you suggested any type of self-development for your kids, anybody in your family? Sure. So I have, I have a, a close friend of mine, um, his his uh, son committed suicide at age fourteen. Um, oh man! And uh, we went through a period of not talking about it because I didn't. I it's not something I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to make sure that yeah. he was comfortable having that conversation. Um, that makes sense. And then, I mean, you know, four or five years have passed, and then recently, I think. I recognized that he was having, there was a, there was a mental health crisis at play and it wasn't a lot of times what people don't understand is that then it's not so overt that you like, it's like, Oh God, he's, he's breaking down. You know what I mean? But it, yeah. it's small things and there's small symptoms. You know what I mean? They'll be like, um, what did you notice? Well, there's, there are things like, you know, like, uh, ex- excessive, uh, self-medication, for example, and you're, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, that's, that's not him. It's never been who he is. This is a little more than, you know, more than I've seen out of him ever. There has to be yeah. something else at play than just, he just wants to have a good time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, and so the conversation that we had were, was, I, I just, first of all, we're friends for 20 years. So I, I, I'm, again, like with my kids, I'm very honest and straightforward because I don't know how to, I, I'm so like, uh, not, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't get really sentimental about a lot of things. And so it's hard for me to articulate sentimental feelings. And so when I have to like approach anything like that, it's just straightforward. Um, Keep it real. Yeah. So I was just like, like, bruh, you gotta, you gotta talk to somebody, man. And, and, and and friends don't want to hear that from their homies. You know what I mean? They're just, they're kind of like, no, you're supposed to be the homie. You're supposed to just ride. Yeah. Let me get through this. Right. Exactly. Let me do my thing. Like, nah, man, because I, I don't want to watch you. I don't want to watch you perish under this. You know what I mean? Like, if I stand yeah. by and don't say anything, then, I mean, what good am I as a friend, right? So I, I just brought it to him like that. He he actually, it took a couple of weeks, but he actually went and sought out someone to talk to, you know, a therapist, and, and things are going well. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I had that conversation because it's, it's a tough one to have. But, yeah. But, I mean, if it's people that you care about and you want to see them, be successful and you have to, you know, you have to approach it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, you got to push people in the right direction. Sometimes it's tough for people to recognize what the right direction is. Um, I've always had that stance as well. You know, there's always been, especially being a man, being black in America, you have to come across the stigmas. And one of the stigmas that I've always recognized or subconsciously, I think I recognized quite early was we never talk about our feelings. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was always like, especially in the black community, I don't need to go talk to somebody. I'm not crazy. You know what I mean? Because there's that stigma that comes along with it. 
But you know, one meanwhile, thing I have meanwhile, seen, not to cut you off. Meanwhile, I've seen you do like eight crazy things in the last five hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like you know, one thing I'm super proud of, and I've seen just I guess in my my close circles of people who I run with, um, people have started to take that proactive step to start talking to yeah. people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there was a funny meme I saw one time, and it was like. <clears throat> boomers i don't need to talk to somebody because i'm not crazy mm. millennials transformed it into like yo it was text message yo check out what my therapist said today yeah. uh, lol i can't believe i'm actually talking about this stuff so it's like we're seeing something of you know the destigmatization of mental health which mm. is amazing and it's an amazing time because of the internet as well there's so much connectivity to apps out there where you can text a counselor where you can schedule with a counselor, you can reach out and talk via video, sure. you know? So there's so many more opportunities for people to engage with help. Yeah. And I think it's super important to even have that conversation, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's also important to have, um, to be able to have those conversations with with someone that doesn't have a, a perception of it already. You know what I mean? Unbiased. Unbiased, yeah. doesn't have a pre- preconceived notion of what you're going through because- a lot of times you with your family members and friends, they'll just they'll they'll diagnose you. You know what I mean? And you're like, what? Yeah. Like, like what? Like, like how based you- on their own based on their own experiences <laughs> yeah. and their own perception of what you should be going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. exactly. I mean, that's crazy. Um, so I mean, one of the I guess the areas, and I guess I'll get a little bit vulnerable now, is um that I've really been focusing on recently is being okay with the process. And I think I hear people say this often, but I think I have different moments of realization or enlightenment, Mm -hmm. what that means to me. And so, you know, since we started this company back in 2014, the road in itself has not been an easy one, right? We are almost seduced and tricked often by things like social media that says, once you start a business, once you start a venture in general, mm-hmm. if it's not popped in six months and you're not already a billionaire, then something is wrong. Time to pivot. Yeah, it's time to pivot. Yeah. Time to pivot and get out of here yeah. because something's wrong. Yeah. Like you're not good at what you're doing or something's wrong with what you're doing. Right. And so I've been really trying to just appreciate the process of the daily. Mm-hmm. And I put out a tweet yesterday and I was like, you know, I'm glad to even have the at bat today. Yeah. Did I hit a That's home right. run? Yeah. No, but I actually got on base and I battled all the way to a two, three count. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that over time that makes you so much better at what you can do yeah. because you have to have the at bat to go through the process. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, the process of the journey is the thing that we'll actually remember in the end. It's not so much the goal, yeah. you know, because I even, in December, I moved to Hawaii, right? And mm-hmm. now I live here. Yeah. And I find myself sometimes getting into a weird mental space because of what's going on with work or what's going on. And I don't get to appreciate the moments that I have right now that are so blessed. Yeah. And so even when Alexa, um, who was on our episode last week, was visiting here, she was like, man, it's just so beautiful here. And like, look at these mountains and all that kind of stuff. It's so important to be present. And it is so difficult to be present when we're always attached to these devices Mm -hmm. because we almost live in this internet world now. And it's very difficult sometimes to lift your head and actually be in the moment and be present. You know, do you do any type of exercises or anything like that to kind of disconnect from your social or anything? Well, so as you know, I'm, I'm a, um, I'm also a basketball coach and part of what I try to um, instill is 
is exactly what you're talking about is is fall in love with the process um because the result i mean the results are the results right the, the, the reward is the reward but the true blessing is the is the ability to be able to do what you're doing you know so um absolutely when i'm trying to tell kids to you know about training or about practice about 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 um fine-tuning your gift um that's that's the message i give so, so I, I love that so i love that you have that that approach about process because if we only focus on if we're only uh results oriented then we um we a you you're gonna miss you're gonna miss some of the um some of the uh uh what am i thinking of? The, the the finer points of of what you need to to move forward and b you're going to always be disappointed. Always. You'll never appreciate your small steps. Yeah. And that's, and so, um, I, I do Sundays. Typically I take away from social media and it's a family day here. Um, I was, the funny thing is that I have, a, I have another endeavor that I'm working on and we used to hold meetings on Sundays and I had to finally tell them I can't do it anymore. It was really, and here's the funny thing about that. It was really mentally exhausting for me to have absolutely those, for me to have those meetings in the middle of my Sunday, and I was just I, yeah. I just told them I you guys can do whatever you want, um, no more for me because that's my time to kind of reset. Yeah, I mean that's so important, and that reminds me. You know, I'll refer back to Alexa once again. Alexa does an incredible job of setting boundaries for herself, yeah. right? She always talks about like, no, I cannot have that meeting at that time because that is my dinner time. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, there's like a culture of like, especially when you're starting a business of like hustle, mm -hmm. pornography, hustle mm -hmm. porn, right? And it's like, you should be hustling all the time. All the time, yeah. And she always is like, I am not doing that because I need that time for me. Yeah. And that is so important because you feel so much more recharged when you can satisfy the other half of you, mm -hmm. which is your soul, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you just, you just hit another point, the power, the absolute power of the word no. And people think that no is a negative word, but I, I, that is, it's, it's in my top five. It's not my favorite. It's one of my top five words yeah. because I, I, because it gives you power. That yeah. gives you the ability to say, no, like, I mean, like you're saying, no, I will not do that at that time because I don't, first of all, because I don't want to. Yeah. That, and that's, and that's, you're right. That's enough. <laughs> that's yeah. enough. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's dope. That's dope that, you know, um, people are able to grasp that early. Well, I mean, like, think about if there's a there's a saying, and I might mess these numbers up, but it's like, imagine if you woke up with eighty four thousand six hundred dollars okay. a day, yeah. and if you fell asleep at nighttime, your eighty four thousand six hundred dollars, if you didn't spend them that day, they go away. Yeah. But the next day you wake up, you're gonna have another eighty four thousand six hundred. Right. So, it's you only have so much personal capital to deploy into the world. Yeah. And it cannot always be spent on other people's wishes. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to spend your money at home in yourself. Yeah. Because how many times have I gotten frustrated? Or how many times have you heard friends and family be like, oh, I don't want to go do this, but I have to because they're in town and they invited me out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. then you get back and you're like, dude, I'm tired. I didn't want to go there. Right. I drank more than I should have. It just is a negative spiral right. downward. Right. You know what I mean? So that power of saying no is an incredible gift. Yeah. And that very much is its own muscle. You have to be able to work that and you have to be able to flex that muscle over time and train that yeah. until you can become comfortable doing that activity.
Sure. And that means so much. That's just like the world because you're going to be successful, not on how many times you say yes, but how many times you say no as well. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, I think about, and I'm thinking about that in terms of how it relates to mental health and what we're talking about. And I think about, um, a lot of us are dealing with, you know, like childhood trauma that, that, that hasn't been faced. Right. And absolutely. um, And that's a difficult, uh, journey on your own. Um, so you have to, you have to grow this ability to, to say actually that I'm not going to allow that to define me. Um, and people don't even, first of all, don't even recognize in what ways it's defining them. You know what I mean? Like, like there, there are people that have like drug addiction, sex addictions, and, 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 any other, other myriad of pro, of issues that they don't know relate to something that happened to them, you know, 30 years ago that they're just reliving over and over again. Man, that's so true. And you have to, and so the power of no is kind of like, I have to, I have to figure out how to say, no, I'm not going to live in that space anymore. But that, that requires, um, you know, some, some help, you know, and some guidance through that. It really does. I mean, the process of self-awareness is a difficult one, right? Knowing yourself is very difficult, even though we consistently spend so much time with ourselves. You know, I want to say I heard something the other day, and it was like the average person says thousands of negative things to themselves on a daily basis, right? I'm not good enough. That shirt doesn't look good on me. I don't know why I didn't get gas yesterday. Now I have to go get gas. Oh, Keenan, you're so stupid. You should take care of this while you're being lazy. It's that internal monologue that really has a huge difference on our ability to relate to ourselves and treat ourselves well. And I think that's a huge part of mental health as well. You know, you got to be nice to you. No, I'm laughing because you made me think of this. uh, They say that we are 20% more attractive to others than we think we are to ourselves. And so I'm just thinking about mm. like, I'm thinking about like those days when you just feel like, but you're looking crazy right now. And then you, yep. you got to try to measure out that 20%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can feel good. <laughs> you got to equate it out. You got to equate it out. It's a sifting process, right? It's a learning process. That's very funny. Yeah. But I mean, just just like, you know, for anybody who gets the opportunity and if you're still with us listening, we very much appreciate it. Um, but you know, mental health in itself is an ongoing and evolution, an evolutionary process. You know, how you feel today is not how you're going to feel tomorrow, and it could not be how you feel later today. I mean, we are dynamic creatures that have so many thoughts and emotions. There's so much that inputs into how we perceive the world. And you know, for anybody who's really listening, you know, everything does get better, but it does take a little bit of work and you being okay with going through your process to get better. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. You can't have the sun without the clouds and that can't have the the flowers without the rain or whatever that saying is. And so I think it's just important, you know, to have these conversations because it's incredibly important to recognize that you're not going through this by yourself. You know, there's always those people in your life, your friends, your family, your loved ones, even professional help who are always going to be there and willing to listen to you. And it's just a matter of recognizing that where we are today is not where we're going to end up. And that journey along the way is really the gift of life because, you know, that goal, like you said, Andre, so well, is not always as attainable as we think it is because it's always a moving target, sure. you know? Sure. And I think we're in a, I think we're in a good space as a, um, as a culture uh, where we're starting to open up the conversations um, to allow people uh, to be vulnerable and, and to express what they're going through. Um, because the, the worst part about it is feeling, is feeling like you're going through it alone. Um, Because it is a a fight and it is a battle, but you're going to need some soldiers with you as well.
That's right. Well, you know, I appreciate you coming uh, or at least being willing to have the conversation today. For sure. Um, you know, it was a really great conversation. I hope everybody who's listening got a great amount of value out of the conversation as well. And thanks for sharing a little bit, Andre, yeah. about, you know, your parenting habits and keeping it real, which I think is so important for kids today. Um, and I look forward to having the future conversations about the subject. Cool. It's great, man. Awesome, man. All right. Take it easy. Right. Everybody, thanks for listening again. It's Tell Health Podcast. You guys have a great day. Thank you for listening to the It's Telehealth podcast. Stay current by subscribing to It's Telehealth on your favorite podcast platform.